Welcome to Warning Signs. Amen? Have you been enjoying this series? I'm glad because those times are coming to an end. I told you last week that uh, there's, there's something happening. We, we started last week in 1 Samuel chapter 30. And I told you we were going to pick back up there. But there's, this is a defining moment in David's life. And something happens here at Ziklag that is going to change the trajectory of David's story. Up until now, he's, he's been taking the heads of giants, and he's been overcoming the Amalekites and the Philistines, and he even outran Saul. And uh, It's been a real good, feel-good story up until now. And, and sometimes it, we get this impression that the longer we serve the Lord, the easier it gets. Like the, the longer you drive a car, it kind of gets easier. The, the longer you learn how to cook cornbread, it gets easier. But the longer I serve the Lord, the less I seem to know. It seems like I know less now than when I first started. It just seems like I get more and more as the years go by. I get more and more dependent on Him to reteach me things I thought I probably should have known already. And I did not intend when I began this sermon series, I did not intend for it to be a life study of David. It's just what it morphed into. And I, I learned a long time ago to just go with the Holy Spirit's leading. And it turned into a, a study of David's life. And we've been following him since the time he was a shepherd boy in his daddy's sheep field. And he was anointed by Samuel, the prophet. We've been following him. This week's story is the same as last week. David is at Ziklag. Again, 1 Samuel chapter 30. We're going to take our text. I'm going to go through, if you're one of these people that has a Bible and you like to go through the Scriptures, this sermon is going to be good for you because I'm going to break down uh, most of this story in 1 Samuel chapter 30. We're going to go kind of Scripture by Scripture. Now, just a little backstory because some of you were not here. Prior to this story happening... David had lied to a king who was fighting with the Philistines, and he had joined himself with an army. They were fighting against the Amalekites. They were victorious. They were winning battles. The Philistines don't like David because the Philistines didn't like Saul. They rejected him, and they told him to go home. David and his men have been out fighting the enemy, Pay attention, I'm, not, I'm already preaching. If you're waiting for me to warm up, I'm already there. You need to understand this before I get going. They were fighting the victory, or fighting the enemy and winning victories. And then the worst day of their life. It is confounding how quickly life can change. That, that's why you need a church that preaches the whole concept of the Word of God, not just repeats and regurgitates stories. Because I would be derelict of my duties if I stood in this pulpit and just told you about Jonah and a fish and about Samson and Delilah and just read you stories and was not preparing you for the moments that life turns on a dime. Because some of you would hear these stories and feel uplifted and encouraged, and that might be good for offering time. And, and it might be good to get people to come into the church, but you won't be able to hold on because into every life a little rain's going to fall. 
And if I'm not preparing you while you're in here to know when the hard times come how to find God, because I don't know about you, but it's harder for me to locate him when times are tough. I mean, when, when the bills are paid and the kids' noses aren't running and everybody's paid their bills and everything is, is, is going well, it's easy to find. I find God everywhere. When my wife's smiling at me and she's not mad at me, I find God everywhere. But it's hard to find God on bad days. And up until David's life, at least as far as we have recorded in Scripture, this moment in Ziklag is the worst day of his life, and not only him, but the 600 men with him. Life can turn. They were victorious yesterday, and today they come back. Their homes are burned to the ground. Their wives and children are taken into slavery, and they don't even know where they went. That's a bad day. And these guys went from one moment of high uh, exasperation of God is good, hallelujah, glory to the Lamb, to coming home expecting to find a warm meal and a pretty wife and some kids that's already been tucked in, so I ain't got to deal with them. And what did they find? Everything was gone. They took everything. They went from feeling victorious to feeling defeated. So 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 1, three days later, when David and his men arrived at their town of Ziklag, they found that the Amalekites, pay attention to that, who did it? The Amalekites. The Amalekites had made a raid into the Negev and Ziklag. They had crushed Ziklag, burned it to the ground. They had carried off the women and children and everyone else, but without killing anyone. Let me begin by saying, David is in transition. This sermon this morning is a pivot point in David's life. It's also a pivot point in this sermon series. Because beginning next week, well, next week we're going to be talking about the, the spirits of the age and things like that. But uh, the, the personal sermons following this, the sermons that are going to be applicable directly to you, are going to be a lot more sinister than what we've been used to up until this point. Up until this point, David has been the hero, right? He rushed onto the battlefield to defeat a giant that nobody else would fight. He, he was in the sheep field, and when the bear and the lion stole one of his daddy's sheep, he ran them down and busted their jaws open and killed the animal and brought back daddy's sheep. He has been a hero. But not after this. Something happens here at Ziklag that just gave me goosebumps because I know where I'm going. David is in transition. Up until now, he's been a man on the run. Saul was chasing him from cave to cave. He was in the cave in Engedi. He was, in, he was in the cave uh, at Abdelham. He, he has been in caves and he has been in the wilderness. He's been a man on the run. However, beginning next week, he's going to be a man who reigns. Now, I don't know about you, but I would rather reign than run. I, I'm going to say that again, except I'm going to put a twist on it. You need to rule your life or else you will be running for the rest of your days. What David is going to teach us in the next several weeks is this. You better get control of you because you can't control what's happening around you. The world is crazy, chaotic, and out of control, and you have exactly one person in this world you can control. When I held my little babies and I looked down into their tender uh, eyes and I looked into their chubby little fists, I said, man, this is going to be wonderful. It's going to be like leave it to beaver. I'm going to tell them what time to go to bed, and they're going to say, yes, Father. 
I'm going to tell them to pick up the room. They're going to say right away. We're going to tell them how to tie their shoes, and they're going to get it right away, and they're going to go make straight A's in school, and they're going to be upstanding citizens. And then they started talking. And I, I do believe if, if dada is not the first word of every child, it's no. And, and they get on this kick where no becomes their favorite word for the next 18 years. Can somebody bear witness with that? Thank you. I got a strong anointing right here in this section. Yeah. So you need to rule you because you won't rule everybody else. You're not going to be able to change anybody else. And David's turning point in his life and his story is here at Ziklag. Something happens to David here. And I'm going to be honest with you. Until I started this sermon series, I had never really dove into this and, and realized that this is the linchpin. This is the pivot point of David's story. I never paid attention to that something happens to David here that changes his entire course. Now, I want you to understand, David, we're going to find out as we continue reading this story, David handles this situation as good as it could be handled. He does the right thing because down inside of David is still this anointing. There's still this, this inbred tenacity to serve God. That's why God called him the apple of his eye. David was a great warrior, but he was a tremendous worshiper. David is in tune with God. When David hurt God, in a few weeks we'll find out why, he begged God, God, whatever you do, do not take your spirit from me. Because David was hungry as the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul longs for you. David loves God. But something happens here at Ziklag that turns his life around. I'm going to give you a statement to begin my message. When put under pressure, what is inside of you will come out of you. Now, I wish I had all morning just to preach this one point. Because it's easy to come to church and put a shine on. It is easy to come to church and get your shout on. You can convince me. You can convince your neighbor. You can convince mom and dad. You can convince hubby and wifey. You can convince a whole multitude of people that you are in love with the Lord. As long as you're not in a vice. But the minute life starts squeezing you, what is outside of you don't matter. What's inside of you will start coming out. I've watched this over and over and over again. People fall in love with Jesus, but it's only rudimentary. It's only surface level. They love Jesus as long as it's making them feel good. But the moment life starts squeezing them, the moment life starts putting pressure on them, they don't know where to run to. That's why I preach the way I preach. That's why I've always been very transparent with you. I've, I, I've shared with you my, my intimate struggles, but our family's intimate struggles. I've told you the struggles of other people because I never want you to have the false perception that all you got to do is say yes to Jesus and everything's going to turn around. Yes, eventually we believe things will turn around, but sometimes it won't turn around until we're on the other side of glory, which means through this life we have to hold on to Him through good times and through ziklags. Somebody say yes. Okay, so if you're wondering how close you are to the Lord, don't gauge it how you feel in here when the praise team's singing on Sunday. You gauge how close you are to God how you react when the devil turns the heat up. Because life will get hard. Last Sunday's message was rough. The warning sign last week was rough roads ahead. And you and I found out that David's life had been pretty easy, even though it had been dodging javelins and living in caves. Up until this point, he was just laughing about everything. Because God's anointing was bringing him through. 
But tough times will catch up with you and turn that laugh into sorrow. So life gets hard. If you wonder how hard, two of God's greatest prophets climbed up under trees and asked God to let them die. I'm talking about men who had, Elijah had called fire down out of heaven. Elijah had slew 450 false prophets of Baal, 400 priests of Ashtoreth. He had outrun Ahab's chariot. And he crawled up under a tree one day in such depression. He said, God, just let me die. Hard times. Rough roads ahead. Your life can turn quickly. Sometimes it's one text. Sometimes it's one knock at a door. One phone call. One conversation. Somebody comes in and says, we need to talk. Turn your whole life around. And so I'm not talking about just having a bad day. I'm talking about the whole trajectory of your life will change. All because of one car accident. All because of one lost job, one house fire, one divorce. And the whole course of your life will change. Now David's been through some rough times. He'd faced wild animals. He'd faced Goliath. He'd faced Saul. But something that he had never faced before happens here at Ziklag. And my sermon this morning is called, Warning Signs, You Need to Make a U-Turn. Because sometimes where you are becomes so unbearable, you have to turn around. Listen, I'm not talking about leaving God. I'm not talking about walking out of the church. But sometimes you come up against some stuff that you're not going to get through. And if you don't learn how to say, that's too bad for me to deal with and walk away from it, you will die at the feet of it. Some stuff is so soul-sucking, so energy-draining, so condemning to your soul that if you don't learn how to say I can't handle this I'm going to let God deal with this and I'm going to go worship if you don't learn how to get away from some stuff it'll kill you you need to make a U-turn so I'm going to give you some directions this morning for U-turns are you ready we're in drive last week I was giving you I took out my notepad and gave you a prescription this week we're in a driving course so buckle your seatbelts number one how to make a U-turn don't expect traffic to always go your way. Uh, you got to learn how to merge in life. Hello? If you're one of these people, and some of you are because I see your face page. And if I quoted from your book of face, I could find plenty to complain about because you do. Instead of giving God glory, you complain. You complain about the boss, you complain about the in-laws, you complain about the wife, you complain about the husband, you complain about the kids, you complain about traffic. Uh, they're going to, I wish they'd pave the road, but then they start paving the road and you complain about what time they're paving the road. I wish we had places to eat. They'd open up a restaurant, your line was too long, you cost too much, you didn't have the right kind of food. Complain, complain, complain. You need to understand that in this life, all the traffic ain't going to go your direction. You got to learn how to merge in and out of traffic because life is hard. The devil is going to be hard on you. Newsflash, the devil don't like you. He's not going to let up on you. He's going to rain as much terror into your life and into your family's life as possible. And coming to your church and saying prayers does not mean that the devil leaves you alone. Paul and Jesus was constantly warning us to stay prepared. Be ready. Don't be ignorant. Paul said over and over in the New Testament, 
He said, don't be part of the ignorant brethren. I believe that's the largest church denomination in the history of the world, the ignorant brethren. (laughs) Because we're not supposed to be taken by surprise. It says, don't be ignorant of the devil's devices. Verse 3 of 1 Samuel 20 says, When David and his men saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. How many of you knows what that feels like? To cry until tears won't come anymore. For something to be so draining in your soul that you have cried all you can cry. Like you, you just, there's no more moisture that's going to come out. You can't talk anymore. Has anybody ever gotten to a point where you prayed and now you just don't have no more words? It's just, and what did Paul, what did Paul say? It's groaning and utterances that only the Spirit can understand. Because we're just, we're just crying out to God in these guttural, just visceral kind of responses because we don't even have words to form. That's pain. And every person in this room, whether you have been through it or not, you will. Because life has a way of getting your attention. Now, I want you to understand who these men were. 600 men and David. These weren't sissies. These were the toughest men in Israel. These men had calluses on their hands. They had sunburns on their faces because they worked outside. They were warriors. They were fighters. They were scrappers. These were not men that sat in their mama's basement tapping on keyboards. These were men who went out on the battlefield and killed other men. These were men who dug fence posts. and These were men that built things and lifted rocks and ran horses and chariots. They did hard, manual labor. These were tough men. But can I tell you that no matter how tough you are, sometimes... Life requires weeping. Sometimes you just got to let a cry out. Let let me explain something to you. When Abraham's wife died, he cried. Because sorrow was an appropriate time for you to cry. When Joseph saw his brothers kneeling at his feet and he realized that his dream had come to completion, he cried because sometimes you get so joyous that it's an appropriate time to cry. When Job was in the middle of his mess, boils all over his body, his children dead, his livestock, his wealth gone, he cried in the middle of his trial because sometimes trials will cause you to weep. And Jesus looked at Peter and said, before the cock crows three times, you will deny me. And when Peter made that prophecy true, the Bible says he ran far away and wept. Because sometimes failure, sometimes when you have the best intentions to serve God with your whole might, your whole strength, and your whole mind, and you fail Him, sometimes all you've got left to do is cry. So sometimes you have to understand that life is hard and traffic won't always go your way. So it's okay to weep. Look at your neighbor and say, it's okay to cry. Yeah, it's okay to cry. However, you can't always stay that way. It's okay. You've you've came to this point. You're weeping because you're sorrowful. You're weeping because you're joyous. You're weeping because you're angry. You're you're weeping because you lost something. That's okay. It's okay. But at some point, you've got to make a U-turn. At some point, you've got to say, enough of this. I can't stay here. If I stay here, I'll die. You may not die physically, but you'll die spiritually. You'll die emotionally. 
If you stay here, I've got, I've got, I've got to make a U-turn. Life is hard. It didn't go my way. I'm going this way because I cannot find joy over here. I've got to go seek it out. Number two, you have to steer, which means once you've made this, you've got to steer in the right direction. Look what happened in verse 6. David was in, was now in great danger. Now stop right there. Don't look. Don't, don't read on. Don't read on. Look at me. David and these 600 men have been fighting together. They bros. They rode dogs. They've been fighting and winning together. Now look what the scripture says. He was in great danger. Not because the Philistines. Not because the Amalekites. Because all his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters. And they began to talk of stoning him. The men wanted to kill David. I think I preached in that church before. Hurt people hurt people. And sometimes people lash out at you and you're not the reason they're in pain. But because they can't reach that person, that thing, that entity that is causing them pain, they take it out on you. And, and, and you happen to catch the flack that somebody else is responsible for. Uh-huh. But David shows us the way. you got to head in the right direction. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Uh-huh. Verse 7 says, Then he said to Abiathar the priest, Bring me the ephod. So the priest brought it. David is in a bad situation. Now listen. 601 men. They all have lost their wives. They all have lost their homes. They all have lost their belongings. They all have lost their children. They all are in the same condition together except David's the only one that's about to get killed. He is by himself. All the rest of these men are getting each other fired up. This is David's fault. If David hadn't have taken us out to battle, if David hadn't have lied to the king, if David hadn't have done this, what, let's take it out on David. And they're all cheering each other on. And David is by himself. And David makes a choice. Hear me. You have to make a choice when you are by yourself. When you don't have a prayer team around you, when this praise team's not lighting it up on fire, when the preacher's not here in front of your face to preach you into happiness, you have to make a choice. You have to choose to change your focus and head in the right direction. Because David could have looked at his enemies. Now, we all know David ain't scared of a fight. He'll run to one when other people are running away from one. David is not afraid to fight. He might be afraid of 600 to 1. That's pretty bad odds. But what he did was he shifted his focus. Because you can focus on your trouble or you can focus on your praise. But you can't do both at the same time. So he changed his focus to praise and worship because what was big in his life, 600 men against me, my, my wife and children, my wives and children, that's another sermon for another time. All my women and all my kids all got taken into captivity. 
My house is gone. My belonging is gone. You can focus on that, but can you get worship out of that? Can you find praise in that? Absolutely not. What that does is bring deep, dark depression. What that does is bring sorrow and misery. It makes you weep until you don't have any tears left. It sucks the strength out of you. And at some point, you've got to make a U-turn and say, I'm heading another direction because God was good to me then, and God will be good to me now, and I will praise the Lord. As long as I have breath, I will praise you. So what happens is this. You can magnify your problem or you can magnify your God. Whatever you focus your attention on gets bigger. So if you focus your attention on the 600 people against you and the house being burned to the ground and all your belongings gone, then that will just get bigger and bigger and bigger and you will feel like it's insurmountable. But if you steer the right direction... And you put your attention on God. Now your problem's not getting bigger. Your God is getting bigger. Oh, come magnify the Lord with me. So he didn't feel like singing. You say, Pastor, I don't feel like singing. You think David felt like singing? You think David felt like going to worship service? You think David felt like getting the ephod on and dancing with all his might? Absolutely not. But he sang anyway. And sometimes when you steer in the right direction, all you're doing is telling hell, I'm going to do it anyway. See, the whole point of you attacking me, devil, was you thought I would die here, but I'm going to hallelujah anyhow. See, you don't understand that it's going to take a whole lot more than you to bring me down because I'm going to hallelujah anyhow. Yeah, they come against me. Yes, they're speaking against me. Yes, they're telling lies. Yes, they're scandalizing my name. Yes, I lost this and I lost that. And I'm not going to focus on any of that because great is the Lord and greatly shall be praised. I'm going to bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. I'm going to praise him in the good times. I'm going to praise him in the tough times. And I'm going to praise him on the worst day of my life. If all I do is praise him in the sunshine, I won't see many sunny days. Your enemy will make sure of that. If it takes everything going well for you to worship, now you know why you never worship. Because the devil knows what to withhold from you. And he steals your praise. Number three, place your confidence in God. I'm going to talk about this all more. I told you that my opening uh, tied in with the sermon. Verse 8, then David asked the Lord, Should I chase after this band of raiders? Will I catch them? And the Lord told him, Yes, go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken away from you. Listen, 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 listen. If you put your confidence in what you can do, you are limited. I know you're tough right now. I know you feel strong right now. But I promise you, as strong as you are right now, you're limited. You only have so much resource, you only have so much time, and you only have so much strength. But you serve a limitless God. And when you put your trust in Him and your confidence in Him and your faith in Him, then you don't have to worry about running out of resources. Because He is able to do exceedingly 
abundantly above all that you can uh, ask or think. So God tells him, David could have ran off. Listen, there's not a man in this room. Well, I can't say that definitively. It's 2023. Things are different now. Come back next week. We'll dig into that a little more. But there's not very many men in this room. I got to parse my words real careful right here. If you found your kids kidnapped, you would not still be in town having church. You might be okay with the wife gone. I'm just saying. Maybe you're not, maybe you're not saddling up and chasing them down over the wife. That's why I had to choose my words real careful. Because I was about to throw all y'all in the same boat as me. Now me, I would. I'd run after my wife. I, I would run at, baby, I love you. I am coming after my wife, but I just didn't want to throw all you men in the same boat with me and say, y'all going to run after y'all's wives because some of y'all be going, I ain't sure about that. <laughs> but there's not a man in here that would let your children be taken away and you just be having church. You would have already went running after them. But notice what David did. He knew that if he went running after them, now he don't have, a, he don't have an army with him. They're ready to kill him. He's got enemies in front of him, enemies behind him. There's only one way he's getting out of this alive. He's got to put confidence in God. And so he puts his confidence in the Lord, and he asks God, what should I do? And notice he asks a question that none of us would ask. He said, should I go? I won't say this about the dads, but every mama in here, you'd already been gone. You'd be, you'd be saying, charge! Get my babies back. I think that's why they took the women. Because they knew if they took them kids and didn't take mama, she'd come up over that hill. I don't know who you think you are messing with my babies. Popping necks and snapping necks at the same time. You, but he asked God, he said, should I go? And, they, and then God gives him a promise. He waited and put confidence in the Lord. Please fight the urge to make big decisions when you are highly emotional. That is a recipe for disaster. You lost a job. It's not necessarily the right time to sell the house and move to Miami. Maybe just get another job. Like, okay? You failed a class. You shouldn't drop out of school. Okay? You broke up Tuesday. Maybe not go on a date Friday. Like, like maybe just maybe pump the brakes a minute. Like, like you, this ain't homecoming. You ain't got to have a date every Friday night. And so this ties in, number three ties in number four because you got to put confidence in God because you'll never do number four. Even though we say we're going to pray and ask, we don't do that effectively until we have confidence. And that's why I put confidence ahead. Number three is ahead of number four because number four says this, ask God for direction. 
See, we, we run ahead of three and do four. We ask God, but we don't have confidence He's going to do it. So we try to do it ourselves. I see it all the time. I see people saying, I'm praying that God will, will do this. And the whole time I'm watching them do it. Like, why are you doing it if you prayed to God for Him to do it? Why are you trying to make it happen? Because you don't have confidence. And, and if you don't have confidence, you don't have a need to pray. Because the Bible says without faith it is impossible to please God. So, so you hear me say this all the time, but you need to know the Word of God. You need to know what the Word says so you can apply it to your situation. Your emotions cannot be trusted. Your heart is treacherous. It cannot be leaned upon. Because your heart and your emotions want stuff for you that God don't want for you. Yeah, yeah. Number five, don't be persuaded by people who aren't listening to God. Look what happens in verse 9. So David and his 600 men set out. Now notice, notice David waited on God. And the same 600 men that was about to kill him have now come to support him again. Help me, Holy Ghost. How many times have you not waited on God and you have fractured relationships? You said things before they should have been said. You did things before. The, maybe they needed to be done, but it wasn't the right time, but you didn't have confidence and you didn't pray and seek God's direction. So you did everything on your own. How, how many times have you hurt people? Not, not by what you said or what you did, but because you didn't wait on God to give you the green light. Because you got in too big of a hurry. David did not fight his men. He took it to the Lord. And now God has given him the green light and gave him his team back. And now David and 600 men set out and they came to the brook Bezor. But 200 of the men were too exhausted to cross the creek. So David continued to pursue with 400 men. I have a whole sermon that I preach about these 200 and 400. I have a whole sermon I preach about it. But I'm just going to give you this. There are people who are close to you that they have allowed pain to destroy their vision. And they have got stuck on this side of the creek. And they will never... They will never cross over. Go back to the scripture if you, if you can. I apologize for making my media team do back handsprings. David's 600 men were set out and they came to the brook Bezor. Verse 10. Um, well, I'll read it. But 200 of the men were too exhausted to cross. They were too exhausted. They were too tired to cross the brook. So David went without them. There are some people that's not heading the same direction you're heading. And you have to be willing to go alone. You've got to be willing to leave. Listen, they're good people. Listen, y'all been friends since high school. I get all of that. I get all that. And I'm not talking about you cut them completely out of their life. But if they're not pursuing God the way you need to pursue God, you've got to be willing to go across without them. If they get stuck, you don't get stuck with them. I have said it for years, and it's probably not been a long, it's probably been a long time since I mentioned it, so let me just say it again. If my wife decided she don't want God anymore,
I've got to let her make that decision, but I've got to go across because I've got to chase him if I have to do it by myself. So, so the Bible says that they got stuck because they were tired. Life had drained them so much that they just were too exhausted to go across. And you have to know when it's time to change company. You won't like to hear this, but the people you allow into your life have power in your life. And if they are grumpy and they're discouraged and they are defeated people, they train you to feel the same way. And if they are sinners, if they're leading ungodly lives and you are yoked up with them, guess where they're leading you? So there's some of you that haven't crossed over. Promised land's right on the other side, and you keep praying, God, when's it my turn? And God says, when are you going to turn loose of the people holding you back? Because they're dead weight, and they'll drown you if you try. Never mind, i gotta, I got to move on. Number six, God can turn your obstacles into your deliverance. Verse 11 says, along the way, now remember, 400, 200 stayed on the other side. Now it's David and 400 men, and they are chasing down the Amalekites because why? God gave them a word. He gave them a promise. Along the way, they found an Egyptian man in a field, brought him to David. They gave him some bread to eat, some water to drink. Verse 13, David says, to whom do you belong, and where do you come from? David asked him. I am an Egyptian, the slave of an Amalekite. Who burned Ziklag? The Amalekites. Listen to this story. I'm the slave of an Amalekite, he replied. My master abandoned me three days ago because I was sick. We were on our way back from raiding the Kirithites in the Negev, the territory of Judah, and the land of Caleb, and we had just burned Ziklag. He don't know David has just came from Ziklag, and Ziklag is his home territory. He don't know this, and he's just spilling the beans. Verse 15 says, will you lead me to this band of raiders, David asked. And the young man said, I sure enough will. I got sick. They left me in a field. I was on the enemy's team. And the enemy abandoned me. And now I've got inside information. I told you, I told you, uh, God will take the thing that is an obstacle to you and bring it for your deliverance. He'll make people that hate you bless you. He'll make folks that are at work lying about you. They'll get caught in a lie. They'll get fired and you'll get a promotion because you didn't fight yourself. But God got on the battlefield and used the thing standing against you as a deliverance for you. This is good stuff because he said, yes. The Bible says, young man replied, if you take an oath in God's name, you won't kill me or give me back to my master. I'll show you exactly where they are. I got sick and they abandoned me. I'm going to switch teams. What happens when God starts making devils switch teams? Because I know they're devils, but they're still God's devils. I hope you understand the sovereignty of the Lord stretches far and above every other entity. So even though they're devils, they're still under God's authority. And verse or number seven is this. Trouble can't stop you from reaching your destination. This has been the worst day of David's life. It's been the worst day of all 600 men's life. 
And verse 16 said, So he led David to them. And they found the Amalekites spread out across the fields, eating and drinking and dancing with joy. <laughs> yeah, it's party time. We got all these new slaves. We, we ransacked their houses. It's party time. Dancing with joy because of the vast amount of plunder they had taken from the Philistines in the land of Judah. David and his men rushed in among them and slaughtered them throughout that night and the entire next day. That is one beating right there. That beating lasted a day and a half. Bible says until the next, entire next day until evening. None of the Amalekites escaped except 400 young men who fled on camels. David got back everything. What did God tell him he was going to get back? What did God say he would return with? And God gave him what he promised. David got back everything the Amalekites had taken and he rescued his I got nothing. The math ain't mathing. Because that's one too many. I've been married 30 years. I can testify. Two is one too many. Uh, <laughs> but he brought them both back. <laughs> David is quite a man. Verse, or number eight is... God doesn't react to your clock. Yeah. So, when we start looking at what happened here, we see that David, if he was one of us, probably would have been in a bigger hurry. But David slowed down and waited on the Lord until he got a word. I'm going to say it again because it's going to be important for where I end this. He waited until he got a word. He waited until he got a word. He didn't go on Facebook and snatch one that didn't belong to him. Because it's easier that way. Because waiting on God to give you one means you've got to lay before God. You've got to pray. Last week I asked you the question, but have you prayed? I know you've cried. I know you've posted about it on social media, but have you prayed? And sometimes it's easier to just snatch a promise that wasn't intended for us and then cry that it doesn't work. David waited when his instinct probably was to run. Chase, pursue. He waited. And when God gave him a word, he acted on that word. Because David knew he'd already faced Goliath. If God's on my side, I got nothing to worry about. I don't have to worry about the 600 men on my own team trying to kill me. I don't have to worry about the Amalekites because God is greater than all of this. And so he waited and he trusted in the Lord. And then, and then, because God doesn't react to your clock. Then, then, verse 19 happened. And nothing of theirs was lacking, either small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything they had taken from them. David recovered all. Somebody give the Lord's word a hand clap right there. Yeah. So, 
you need to learn to wait upon the Lord. You need to learn how to wait. Wait for your kid to surrender. I know you want them in church next Sunday. We all do. But you've got to wait for them to surrender. You know what? Somebody prayed for you and had to wait for your hard-headed self to surrender. Oh, let me just put out there. As your pastor, I'm still waiting for y'all's hard-headed self to surrender all the way, okay? Wait. Wait for your blessing to come. Stop being impatient, Sarah. They're fighting right now. Because Abraham stumbled into the wrong tent. Stop being impatient. If God tells you you're blessed, you're blessed. But I'm in a hurry for my blessing. Slow down. Because I promise you, you don't want it before it's time. Wait for your prayer to be answered. Wait for God to show up. When was the last time? Let me just ask you a question. When was the last time you could look at your life and say, I have nothing lacking? Because this scripture said once they had recovered... All there was nothing. Like, when's the last time you looked at your spirit life and said, there's nothing lacking? See, God wants you to have a complete spiritual journey. He wants to give you, he said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly, yeah. So he wants you to have a life that is complete in him. And if you keep looking outside of God's will, you're always going to be lacking something. Go ahead, keep trying to find joy in six-pack abs. Because I got news for you, ladies. They all turn into kegs eventually. (laughs) Keep trying to find fulfillment in careers. I promise you, you will be lacking and you'll never catch what you're pursuing. That's what Jesus meant in Matthew 6 and 33. He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things, see, if you chase things, you'll never catch things. But if you chase God, things will catch you. So some of you are lacking joy. You're lacking completeness. You're lacking contentment. You're lacking happiness. But he wants you to find fullness of joy in him. God is not as concerned with changing your circumstances as he is in changing you. And people walk in and out of church every Sunday. They walk in and out of every business. They walk in and out of every house. And they are in some kind of hopeless situation. Every week, they're hopeless because of something some doctor said. They're hopeless because of what their circumstances are saying. But being in a hopeless situation does not mean that God has left you or abandoned you. When you come to Ziklag and you see the smoke raising from the rubbles and you don't hear the cries of your children because they've been taken into captivity, that is not the evidence of the absence of God. When you have lost everything, you still have Him. When you've lost everything, you've got to learn how to find Him in the nothingness. It's easy for you to testify, God's been good to me when God gives you the promotion, when God gives you the raise, when you close on the house, when you get the new car, when you finally get married, when the kids graduate, when when, when the kid gets paroled, whatever. We're all in different circumstances. But it's easy to rejoice and see God in the stuff and the things. But you've got to learn how to find God in the nothing. And that's what David is teaching us here. That's why you've got to make a U-turn. Because you've got to be able to look at a valley that has been decimated and destroyed and see the potential. 
One of, your, one of the longest books in your Old Testament is a book written by a prophet named Ezekiel. And God called that prophet down to a valley. And he said, what do you see? And he said, I see bones. It was once an army. But that army had died. The flesh had been removed, picked clean by the birds and sun and time. And he said, I see bones. And they are dry and very dry. And God asked Ezekiel a crazy question. If it wasn't God, I'd say, that's a stupid question. He said, can these bones live? And Ezekiel said, uh-huh. He said, your King James says it like this. You know, O Lord. I mean, think about it. When you look out over a valley and all there is is death, barrenness, destitution, it's all gone, no form of life. And God says, can, can you look at the nothing and see the potential? What God said was, can you trust me to step into your valley? And when I step in, see, 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 I preached all day to get right here. When I step in, I bring all my stuff with me. Resurrection power is not a coat that God takes off and puts on when he comes to church on Sunday. It is who he is. He is the fullness of life. In him there is no evil. There is no wickedness or shadow of turning. When God steps onto your valley, he brings all his stuff. He don't have it packed in a suitcase. He is resurrection. He is life. He is power. He is peace. He is the authority. And when he steps onto your situation, if you can see him in the middle of nothing, God says, you're about to see something. I know it looks dead. I know it looks dry, very dry. But can you see the potential if you invite me? And then God does something that is even crazier. God does nothing. He tells Ezekiel, speak to him. Don't you tell God you got faith but won't practice it. Don't you tell God that you believe he can do something, but you ain't willing to do it. He says, speak to those bones, man of God, and tell them, command them to live. Dry bones have ears if you know how to prophesy. Dry marriages have ears. I wish I had a witness. Dry relationships have ears if you know how to speak the word of God over it. Addictions have ears if you know how to curse it through the word and drive it out of your kingdom and out of your house. Diabetes, heart disease have ears if you know how to appropriate his word and speak it out of your mouth and find potential in the nothing. And all of a sudden, in the middle of this valley clack 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 my God in heaven dry bones started standing up tissue started forming 
over dead, dry, not just dead bones, very dry bones. Been dead for a, a long, some of y'all's marriage has been dead for a long time. Some of y'all's relationships have been dead for a long time. You've got to believe for potential in the middle of nothingness because it's only then that you'll see the reality of the power of God. Clack, 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 clack. Bones start coming together. Sinew starts growing back. Tendons, flesh starts forming. And before Ezekiel knows what happened, a whole army had stood up in front of him. All because Ezekiel looked at a dead, dry situation and said, North, South, East, West, God is in all four directions. And I want to see the power of God you missed it. The north, the south, the east, and the west, God's all around me. Yeah, I, I know what I see. I see a valley full of very dry bones. I know that it looks hopeless, but I'm surrounded. I'm surrounded. By the power, by the breath, by the resurrection, by the life, I'm surrounded. I can't raise that army back to life, but I know a man who can. And an army stood up because Ezekiel, listen, spoke the word. You need to learn how to speak the word. Until your mess gets sorted out. Life's hard. I'm not going to stand up here on Sundays and try to tell you. And just give you a real good, feel good, pep talk, TED talk. That everything's going to be alright. I believe everything's going to be alright. We used to sing a song in the old terms. Everything's going to be alright. I believe that. But some of it ain't going to get sorted out until I get to heaven. So if I'm waiting on everything to feel good now before I can feel good, I'm never going to feel good. And that's where some of you are. And listen, I'm not fussing at you. I'm trying to help you. Because if the enemy knows how to get you depressed, defeated, and distraught, if you give him the keys, he's going to keep you locked up. And if he knows that all he has to do is to push your buttons, is to use your husband... Use your boss. Use that gossip in the next cubicle. Use your neighbor that keeps blowing their leaves over into your yard. Letting their dog come and do his business in your lawn. If that's all it takes to get you half backslid. For you to go from I praise you Lord to volcanic eruption in that few seconds. If that's all it takes. Then he will constantly... Bring that little dog over to your yard. You will never be absent of fertilizer in your front yard. If that's all it takes to get you defeated. If that's all it takes to get you upset. Because when you're upset, you can't see the potential. All you see is the problem. So I'm trying to get you to shift your focus this morning. Is anybody willing to do that? Is there anybody in here that realizes... 
I have probably let what's in front of me be bigger than it should. Has anybody let their problems? And when God says, can this thing live? You say, oh. But your, your situation is waiting on your instructions. Your chaos is waiting on you to direct it. You've got to speak the word. Uh, you've got to learn how to say what God says until your mess straightens out. David didn't go to a board meeting. He didn't ask for a second opinion. He asked the one who could do all things. And when God said go, he went. And he went with confidence. But he called for the priest because he said, if I'm going to get in the right frame of mind, I can't be thinking about my wife's I can't be thinking about my kids. I can't be thinking about all my house being burned out. I can't be thinking about my men trying to kill me. If I'm going to really hear from God, i got to switch my mind from what's in front of me to who's above me. So he called for the priest to bring the ephod, and he said, it's time for me to praise. I don't need a second opinion. I need to praise. I don't need to have a board meeting. I need to praise. So that's what we're going to do this morning, church. If some of you are in this room and you know, you know, you know that you have let the thing in front of you get too big, too complicated, you've seen too much death, and you don't even, you're not even sure you can live anymore, we're going to get our praise on this morning. So I want you to jump to your feet this morning, and this praise team is going to lead us into some praise because I don't, want, I don't know if I'm the only one, but David is going from being a man on the run to a man who's going to reign, and I want to reign. I want to rule my life. I, I, I want God to be in control of my life, but I want to control me. I can't control others. I can't control my situation. I sure can't control the government. I can't control the society, but I can control what goes on on the inside of me. And if that's you this morning, then we're going to lift up high praises. We're going to, maybe somebody feels like they need to dance. Maybe somebody needs to shout. Whatever it is you need to do to get your focus back onto the, the potential, stop looking at the death and look at the potential. Come on, praise team. Lead us. Lead us where you can take us.